If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale, starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. The White Mountain National Forest stretches out before me, a picturesque landscape of towering peaks and lush green valleys. 
As a park ranger named Roman, it's my duty to safeguard this natural haven and ensure the safety of its visitors. Nestled within this vast wilderness lies a serene lake, its tranquil surface reflecting the beauty of the surrounding mountains. Recently, disturbing reports of mysterious drownings have reached my ears, casting a shadow over the serenity of the park. Determined to uncover the truth, I embark on a mission to investigate these incidents and put an end to the growing fear that permeates the air. Equipped with a sense of duty and a suspicion that something more sinister lies beneath the calm waters, I venture towards the lake. Thoughts of crocodiles or similar creatures race through my mind as I reach its edge, preparing myself for the unknown. To my surprise, as I peer into the depths, my eyes are met not with a familiar reptilian shape, but with a cryptid beyond imagination. Before me stands a creature resembling a camouflage mud soldier on steroids, its massive frame covered in muck, and its red glowing eyes fixated upon me. Fear and determination intertwine within me as I ready my rifle, hoping to defend myself and the unsuspecting visitors who wander into this watery domain. A shot echoes through the air as the bullet pierces the creature's hide, but to my dismay it merely growls in response. Undeterred, I continue my assault, firing round after round, desperately trying to halt the monstrous predator's advance. With a retreat as swift as its initial emergence, the cryptid sinks back into the murky depths of the lake, leaving me bewildered yet relieved. Summoning the local authorities, I recount the harrowing encounter and the futility of my attempts to vanquish the creature. Together we devise a plan to rid the lake of this malevolent presence. Armed with a grenade, we approach the water's edge, aiming to disrupt the creature's habitat and safeguard those who venture near. With a resounding explosion, the grenade shatters the peaceful surface, scattering mud and debris into the air. The authorities declare the mission a success, assuring me that the cryptid has been vanquished. Relieved yet apprehensive, I return to my duties, patrolling the lake with a watchful eye. Although the mud cryptid has not re-emerged from its watery lair, an eerie sensation lingers within me whenever I set foot near the lake. It's as if invisible eyes follow my every move, a reminder that some mysteries are never fully resolved. I continue my ranger duties, ever vigilant, knowing that the tranquility of the White Mountain National Forest can be deceiving, and that a lurking presence may forever shadow the depths of that enigmatic lake. Me and my two other friends, all nineteen, decided to do some kayak backcountry camping along the lake but we weren't sure exactly where the spots were from the lake since they are only marked from the trail in the woods. So we decided to hike in first and find it so we knew where it was. We hiked the two miles in during a light drizzle and found camp, left our packs in the cooler and hiked back to our kayaks. Loaded up the kayaks with firewood and two of us took the kayaks. One was tied to my buddy's kayak and set off for camp while my other buddy hiked back. A storm was rolling in and the water was super choppy, and it was getting dark, but we had to take it really slow, so we didn't flip. We got to camp safely, though, and set up during a short break in the rain. We were all hammock camping and found a cluster of trees so we could all be closer together and hang out while it rained throughout our trip. 
That first night it started off as a calm drizzle, but around 3 a.m. we all woke up to the loudest thunder and brightest lightning of our lives. Scared to death, we just talked about how we were going to die. Lightning, thunder, and 30 miles per hour wind gusts. I was praying a tree didn't fall on us. We kept hearing limbs fall. Eventually, I just accepted that if I died, I'd die, and from 6 a.m. to 10 a.m., I got some of the best sleep of my life. Woke up the next morning to all of my gear that was under my tarp soaked because it fell off the hook and the wash was under our setup. To this day, it's one of my favorite camping trips. Fair warning, this story involves a battle with food poisoning. Maybe don't read this one over your lunch. A few years ago, I loaded a bunch of camping gear onto my bicycle and spent the better part of the next seven months riding 5,300 miles, 8,500 kilometers, around much of the United States. And I did this trip solo. One day in southern Washington state, I stopped for lunch at a fast food place on my way through a small town. As I continued biking in the afternoon, something definitely felt a bit off in my stomach. But it didn't slow me down too much. At night, I most often preferred to wild camp, simply finding somewhere to disappear into the woods at night. Somewhere people were unlikely to find me, and even less likely to care that I was there. I usually start looking for a campsite an hour before dusk, and on this particular evening I had no trouble finding my spot. I start going through my usual evening routine. Set up the tent, make my bed, change my clothes, write my final journal entry of day the day, and then lights out not long after the last natural light. But pedaling 80 pounds, 36 kilograms of bike and camping gear all day every day is hungry work. So usually that routine is accompanied by copious amounts of snacking. On this particular night, however, I had little appetite. Laying down in bed did not do my stomach well. My mild aches quickly turned to more severe cramps, followed by waves of nausea. Feeling like I was about to throw up, I'd sit up in bed, hand on the zipper of my tent door, ready to lean out to vomit. But after sitting up for a few minutes, I'd feel better, and so I'd lay back down. After a few minutes, though, the uneasiness would return. Eventually, around 11.30, I finally threw up, and thankfully I managed to get the door open in time. I used some water from one of my bottles to rinse out my mouth, drank some more water to help replenish the fluids I'd lost, and then laid back down. Feeling much better, I managed to get a couple hours of sleep. I woke again around 1.30, and the whole song and dance began again. Sit up, ready to open the door. Feel better after a few minutes. Lay back down. Repeat a few times. Vomit around 2.30. Rinse my mouth, drink water, back to sleep. I woke for a third and final time around 4.30. Thankfully, I never threw up again, but realizing I was unlikely to get back to sleep before dawn, I decided there were more productive uses of my time than to even try. I was in no condition to get back on the bike, but I dreaded even more the alternative. I couldn't stay where I was out of fear of my condition continuing to deteriorate, and besides, I had used up all my water throughout the night, so I had no choice but to get back on the bike. There was a town about 30 miles, 50 kilometers, ahead. A fairly easy half day for me under better conditions, 
I would put myself up in a cheap motel in that town for the night and reassess my condition after a proper night's rest. Shortly after dawn, I got to it. I broke down the tent, loaded everything onto the bike, and hiked it back to the road. Get on. Start pedaling. And something feels weird right away. It's a flat tire. Just my luck, right? But I had the tools, spare parts, and knowledge to make the repair, so I got to work. In my less-than-ideal mental state, it took me far longer to repair than it had any right to, and by the time the wheel was back together and holding air, it had started raining. Nothing I could do other than put on my rain jacket, turn on my lights, and just push through it. The words, absolute misery, don't feel big enough for it. But I don't know how else to summarize that day's ride. I was cold and wet. I was hungry, but didn't want to put too much food into my still upset stomach. I was dehydrated. Remember, I'd used all my water the night before. And I was tired in every sense of the word, sleep-deprived, mentally exhausted, physically aching and sore. Every rotation of the pedals felt like a feat of Herculean strength. And yet, somehow, I continued to find that strength. I eventually made it to the town. First, I stopped at a grocery store for some food that would be easy on my stomach. Then I went to the motel. I took a long, hot shower, called my mom, then slept for 13 hours straight. I woke the next morning feeling great. A light breakfast went down easily, and I decided to get back on the bike. The goal was to make it to Portland, Oregon, where I planned to stay in a hostel for a few nights and explore the city on foot. It would be 60 miles, 100 kilometers, a fairly long day for me even in the best of health. That day went by quite smoothly, but to make a long story short, due in part to some poor judgment on my end, the stomach cramps caught up to me the next day when I was out at a museum. The day after that, I just took a rest day at the hostel, which ended up being a good call, as the food poisoning really came back with a vengeance, not throwing up this time, but now in the form of diarrhea. I know, but you asked. Thankfully, that got it all out of my system. The next morning, I felt great, and after a full day on my feet, I returned to the hostel late that evening, still feeling fantastic. In hindsight, I'm just thankful the shits waited until I was back in civilization. Throughout that chapter of my life, I had a few incidents that could be described as scary, but usually just in a creepy way. But when it comes to actual rational fear for my safety, the food poisoning incident has everything else beat by quite a margin. A few years back, my girlfriend and I, having hiked several other parts of the Appalachian Trail, decided we wanted to give the southern portion of Virginia's trail a shot. It is about 166 miles long and runs through George Washington and Jefferson National Forests from Roanoke County to Parisburg in Giles County. This is definitely one of the more remote and less traveled parts of the trail which is exactly what we were looking for. We gathered our gear and made our way to the start of the Virginia Creeper Trail to begin our journey. We had planned our journey to end at Damascus and figured that by the time we got there, we would be more than ready to get home to our own beds. It was early October, and the changing of the leaves and colors were amazing. The air was crisp and cool, perfect hiking weather with beautiful scenery. The majority of the trip was pretty uneventful just your typical hike. But 
Our last couple of nights is where things got weird. On this portion of the trail, you are supposed to camp on the trail or a designated shelter. We didn't really want to run into other people and didn't want anyone coming up on us in the middle of the night. We decided to ignore those suggestions and find our own little spot off the trail. A little searching around, and we found a spot a little ways off the trail in the middle of a small clearing. It was perfect. We set up camp, cooked some food, talked for a while, then snuggled up and went to sleep for the night. Somewhere around 2 a.m., I was awoke by my girlfriend shaking me awake, telling me, get your gun. Someone is outside walking around our tent. She informed me that she woke up to what sounded like someone right outside the tent running a knife or something along the side while circling us. When hiking, I carry an M1911 and a judge with me. You never know exactly who or what you might run into when on such a long hike in a remote location. I got the judge out of my pack, and then we sat silently listening for any sound. A few minutes of nothing but the breeze blowing through the trees, and then I heard it. Snap, crunch, snap. Someone or something walking in the woods behind our tent. I got the flashlight and silently made my way out of the tent. Our fire had went out, so it was nearly pitch black, illuminated by only the dim glow of the October moon. I told my girlfriend to stay put while I checked it out. I didn't flick the flashlight on right away so as to not give away that I was out of the tent and have it become a shining beacon of my location. Instead, I waited to hear more noises. After a few minutes, snap, crunch, crack. It sounded like it was bipedal based on the way the steps were paced. I turned on the flashlight and flooded the area with light. I thought I saw someone move behind a tree. I yelled out and told him to go away and that I was armed. I kept the light on the area with my gun drawn and slowly approached towards the area where I thought I saw the figure. Then, from my right, I hear what sounds like someone running away through the woods. I spin and face my light that way, and then, from the original spot here, who or whatever was there, take off into the woods. There's no way I am given chase, so I return to the campsite. I tell my girlfriend about what happened, and I end up sitting guard outside the tent, in the darkness until daybreak. In the morning, I looked around a bit for signs of who or whatever it was, and I discovered a boot print in some soft, moist dirt not far from our tent. It wasn't mine, and it wasn't my girl's. This freaked me out as it confirmed that someone, perhaps more than one, was skulking around our tent in the dark. I kept it to myself because I didn't want to freak my girl out any more than she already was. At this point, we were pretty deep in and still had two days left. That day, we walked a little faster than normal and covered as much ground as possible. When it came time to set up camp, I found a spot near a cliff where we could place the tent in a small overhang and prevent anyone from coming up behind us. The whole day up to this point, I had a feeling we were being followed. I had no confirmation of this, as I hadn't seen or heard anyone else, but it was just a gut feeling. We set up camp and made some food, then retreated to the tent. I gave my girl a 1911, and I kept the judge right next to me, and I assured her that if I slept at all, it would be with one eye open. After a while, she drifted off to sleep, and I stayed awake listening to the sounds of the woods at night. I was awake for a few hours, just waiting to see if anything was going to happen. At some point, I guess my exhaustion caught up with me, and I drifted off. I woke some time later to what sounded like someone going through our stuff outside the tent. 
I grabbed my gun and woke my girlfriend, shushing her to be quiet. From the faint glow of the fire, I could see someone's silhouette against the tent. There was really someone out there. I yelled out to them something along the lines of we are armed. Get the F out of here. They dropped what they were doing and bolted. I came out of the tent, gun drawn and ready to shoot someone. Our stuff was strewn all about. They had rummaged through quite a bit of our stuff. I walked to the edge of the woods in the direction whoever was out there had fled. There was a creek nearby, and I walked to the edge, where there was a small trail running alongside it. Down the creek I could see a light. It looked like a lantern the way it flickered. And then I saw three more emerge from the other side of the woods. I told my girlfriend to start packing up whatever she could, and that we were leaving now. We packed up everything of value, left the tent and a few other items, and headed back onto the trail in the middle of the night. I kept hearing people talking off in the woods and hearing branches snap for quite some ways. I kept looking behind us every few seconds to make sure nobody was coming up on us. It was completely nerve-wracking. If something happened, we were still a long ways from anywhere, and quite literally on our own, since we hadn't seen another hiker the entire time we had been out there. I really felt we were in serious danger. We had been walking for quite some time when I heard something in the woods behind us. As we rounded a corner, I turned around and saw someone step out onto the trail and just stand there watching us. It was just as the sun was coming up and barely any light. I couldn't make out any features. Just the silhouette. I stopped and looked at them for a seek and asked them who they were and what they wanted. They just stood there silently, watching us, and then turned and walked back into the woods. We picked up the pace and kept going, looking back every so often. We didn't see them again, but my gut told me they were still there for quite a ways. We eventually reached the end of the trail and got to where we had parked my girlfriend's car, extremely exhausted. We made it out of the Virginia woods without becoming a meal for a clan of cannibalistic inbred hillbillies, which is what I pictured happening in my head the whole time. I have no idea who they were or what they wanted. Maybe it was someone just messing with us. Maybe it really was a clan of deformed hillbillies who were hunting us. I will never know because I will not be returning to find out. Where my dad's family lives is up in a series of ridges and hollers that, for the sake of this entry, I will call Webb, Kentucky. My dad's entire lineage has lived there since the 1800s. I've looked into our family tree, and it is chocked full of history. From an old one-armed Irishman who built the two-story log cabin where my father's family grew up in and where his grandparents, my great-grandparent, lived at their entire lives to Native American heritage. Well, the following story takes place at is my uncle's house, which is the two-story log cabin built by said Irish man. My uncle died in 2010 of a massive heart attack on his porch at the home. Most of the time it's since sat empty except for my aunt, my grandma's sister. Staying there during the spring and summer, the house itself has had a history of paranormal activity from disembodied footsteps coming from the upstairs rooms to voices and apparitions. My whole life, my dad and his sisters and brothers had always sweared that the house was haunted by the spirits of my great-grandparent. 
the one armed man who built the property and possibly even my late uncle who died there. But that isn't the only thing that has happened there in the late 90s or early 2000s. Somewhere around that time, my uncle, who loved spending time out in the woods day and night coon hunting with his pack of hunting dogs, was out one night on one of his nightly hunts. According to my aunt, who heard the story from my uncle, who retold it to my grandparents, later on he was in the woods when something chased him out with great success. He said he could hear bipedal walking tailing him in the woods. His coon hounds, who were akin to predators, seemed frightened and wouldn't chase after whatever it was. He fled through the woods as he heard whatever it was chasing him from behind. He barely made it home by the skin of his teeth as whatever it was chased him all the way back to the property. He retold the story to my family a few weeks later while visiting. Story 2 My uncle, Dad's eldest brother, had moved back to the mountains after some years away in the nearby city. After remarrying, the family kept up with him from time to time, but he sat on his own and doing quite well. However, unfortunately, in mid to late 2016, he was diagnosed with incurable lung cancer and was given only a few short months to a year to live. Seeing as how he didn't want to die in the city, he decided to move back to the hills of home. He spent a little while trying to find a suitable house or trailer to move his family back into. But after a while, he finally found one nestled on a very steep hill with a gravel road leading up the hill to the house. It sat surrounded by dense dark woods and a backyard that was walled off by a massive rock face with even more woods surrounding it. The house was what I would describe as a log cabin type build with light brown wood covering the outside and tanner shingled roof. It even had a small hot tub off the side of the small porch, but it had not been used in quite some time. However, that wasn't the strangest part of the property in the front yard in a medium-sized garden that the previous owners had made. Sat a grave. Yes, a real grave. It was of a stillborn infant baby, a fetus, whom had died in the 1970s or 80s years prior and had been buried there ever since. I found that extremely odd and unnerving, but the inside didn't fare much better either. Whoever had lived there previously must have left in a hurry as they left all of their belongings behind. Dishes were left in the kitchen tables. The TV bed frames were tapped together in the bedrooms with only the bedrolls themselves being taken. Little girls, clothes, and a Minnie Mouse TV stuffed into the closet of a back bedroom and in the backyard was the strangest sight of all. A massive burn pile made up of furniture and piece of other objects and personal effects all scorched and burned black with a giant circle of black surrounding the pile, signified by a black outline in the dirt. The whole house had a very eerie and creepy vibe to it, like something was wrong there. Very wrong, my father, as a promise to his dying brother, started work on the house, immediately arranging for satellite TV to be hooked up in the living room which is where my uncle and his family were forced to sleep at while work was underway elsewhere in the house. However, soon this happy abode turned into a living hell. Sleeping in the living room, you would hear foots walking across the wooden floors, doors would close and open by themselves, and shadows were seen. My uncle started seeing a small boy, an older man, and in overalls and straw hats, so after a while there would torment him even up until his dying day. 
His wife, who thought he was going crazy, never knew anything odd was happening that was, until while at the kitchen sink he saw a boy in overalls running past the kitchen window. Going outside, nothing was there. His daughter always soon started experiencing the oddness of the property, as she told her mother that she had been playing with a boy in a room just a short time ago when going to see what was going on. Nothing was there. My uncle was continually tormented by these spirits even locking my family, who went to visit him in the back bedroom, out of fear that they would hurt them. Eventually, however, they were found to finally flee the home, having been run out by all of the aggressive activity inside the home. My uncle did eventually pass away in 2017, but the entire time he was there at the home, he was tormented by the restless spirits of the man and boy. After his death, the family pastor and another preacher went to the property and blessed it, and attempted to banish the dark entities haunting the home. They threw holy water on the walls and front and back doors and ordered the spirits out in the name of Jesus Christ. After that, no one knows for sure if the property ever had any odd activity again. Story 3 My father would stay the nights at my grandmother's when she was still alive. She died in 2018. Most of the time he would stay with her because she was afraid of the nighttime. As she had some form of sun donors and would see and hear thing at night. So he stayed to calm some of her nerves at night. This particular night her sister was visiting for the week and he decided to go up and hang out with them for a while. And stayed the night well at about midnight or sometime after that. He was awoken by the sound of the garbage being gone through and a loud thump as whatever it was had knocked the lid off of the trash can, causing a loud calm that had awoken my aunt. My grandmother, as they got my dad up to investigate whatever the disturbance, was out back, grabbing my grandfather's old shotgun and a flashlight. He opened up the back door and walked out back to investigate. Having seen the trash can lid can, trash been gone through, he walked farther out through the back area to see if anything was out there, and that's when he saw it walking back up the hill and back into the woods. It was a very large and very tall creature in white with red eyes reflecting the light from the flashlight bouncing off of it. The creature watched him the entire time as it walked back up into the woods as it vanished. My dad walked back inside white from what he had just seen pale as a ghost. My aunt tried to ask what had happened and... That is when he told her and called my mom on the house phone, relaying the encounter my mother had my stepbrother try to find any odd encounters from the area, and had found one. A man had reported being followed in the woods while he was walking down that same stretch of road one day. He never saw anything, but it was walking with him every step. It was later discovered that there is a legend there about the devil himself haunting the woods of the mountains there. I won't say in which national park I woke. I'll just tell you that I had been assigned to watch over an old watchtower deep in the heart of the woods. At first, it seemed like a simple assignment. Mm, just me, the tower, and the trees. But as the days passed, strange things began to happen. It started with a feeling, a sense that I was being watched even when I was alone in the tower. And then there were the noises... Footsteps in the hallway, whispers in the dark. At first, I thought I was just imagining things. 
but the occurrences became more frequent, more intense. I could feel a malevolent presence in the tower, something that was targeting me specifically. I tried to ignore it, to tell myself that it was just my imagination. But it was impossible to ignore the feeling of dread that hung over me every time I stepped foot in the tower. And then, one night, it all came to a head. I was sitting at my desk trying to fill out some paperwork when I heard a loud banging on the door. It sounded like someone was trying to break in. I reached for my gun and cautiously made my way to the door. As I opened it, I was confronted by two men in black suits. They introduced themselves as agents from a secret government agency that specialized in investigating paranormal activity. I was skeptical, to say the least. I had never heard of such an agency, and I couldn't imagine why they would be interested in what was happening in the old watchtower. But the men were persistent, and they seemed to know more about what was happening than I did. They asked me not to go outside my room. I said, no chance but they just slammed the door when they left and locked me inside. After a while, I managed to pick a lock and get outside. I saw two men in black suit and with black goggles outside. I was stunned. I had no idea how the men had done it, but I sensed a relief in air. I turned to thank them, but when I looked back, one was gone, and other approached me. He told me something unbelievable that there are over 13,000 reported unknown predators in the wild, and that the government was keeping it a secret from the public. The agency that the men worked for was dedicated to tracking down and neutralizing these predators. I wanted to smile a bit because that was something impossible, but that man was serious. I asked him, Why did he tell me that? And he said, Because no one will believe you, Ranger. Then he left. I returned to my watchtower and spent whole night thinking, if I'm insane or I'm just ignorant of obvious things that surround me. I am a park ranger at the Grand Canyon National Park. The Grand Canyon is a breathtaking natural wonder that stretches 277 miles long and has been carved by the Colorado River over millions of years. The walls of the canyon reach heights of over a mile and offer a diverse array of geological formations and wildlife. Each day, I am on patrol. I am reminded of the beauty and power of nature. Today, I was on my usual patrol when I received a radio transmission from a park visitor. They claimed to have seen a big foot near the south rim. As a park ranger, I have heard many strange stories, but this one caught my attention. I decided to investigate, despite the skepticism of my colleagues. As I had approached the area, I noticed something moving in the bushes. I cautiously approached, and suddenly a large, hairy creature lunged at me. It was Bigfoot. I managed to dodge its attack and radioed for backup, but before they could arrive, Bigfoot attacked me again. This time, I was not so lucky. I was knocked unconscious and awoke to find myself in a cave with a broken leg. I was trapped in the cave, unable to move, and with no means of calling for help. As I lay there, I remembered something strange about the visitor who had reported the Bigfoot sighting. They had seemed too eager to report it, almost as if they had been waiting for someone to come to this area. Days passed, and I was running out of food and water. Just when I'd given up hope, a group of park visitors found me and called for help. 
I was rescued and taken to a hospital where I learned the horrifying truth. The visitor who had reported the Bigfoot sighting was actually a poacher who was using the creature as a decoy to distract park rangers while they hunted protected species in the park. I was filled with anger and disbelief. Not only had I been betrayed by someone who was supposed to appreciate and protect the park, but I had also come close to losing my life. The poachers were eventually caught and brought to justice, but the experience had changed me. I realized that nature can be just as dangerous as it is beautiful, and that even those who are supposed to protect it can turn against it for their own gain. After my recovery, I returned to the Grand Canyon as a park ranger, but I was never the same. The beauty of the canyon now held a deeper, darker meaning for me. I was constantly on guard, always aware of the potential danger lurking in the shadows. And although I never saw Bigfoot again, the memory of my encounter stayed with me, a constant reminder of the mysterious and sometimes tragic world of the Grand Canyon. I've been a cop for a little over five years now, and I've seen my fair share of criminals, but this one was different. I was on patrol one night when I received a call about a break, in at a local store. I quickly made my way to the scene, but by the time I arrived, the burglar had already fled. I chased after him, determined to catch him. He led me down a dark alleyway, and I could see him up ahead, climbing through a window. I followed him, but as soon as I climbed through the window, I lost sight of it. I found myself in an abandoned house, and as I walked through the rooms, I couldn't shake the feeling of unease that was creeping up on me. The house was dilapidated with peeling wallpaper and a musty smell that filled the air. As I made my way to the bathroom, I noticed a hole in the wall. Curiosity getting the better of me, I peeked through the hole, and that's when I saw it. A creature that resembled the rake a creature from the urban legends was staring back at me. It was a humanoid figure with long, razor-sharp claws and a face that was twisted in a grotesque expression. I froze, unable to move as it began to punch through the wall. I could feel the pain as its claws dug into my flesh, and I remember feeling a sense of panic as I lost consciousness. When I woke up, I was in a hospital bed, bandaged and with a cast on my arm. I couldn't remember what had happened, but I knew something was off. I couldn't shake the feeling of anxiety and fear that had taken over me. I couldn't remember what had happened in that abandoned house, but I knew that it had left a deep impact on me. I spent the next few weeks recovering from my injuries and trying to piece together what had happened that night. I talked to my colleagues, but none of them had seen the creature that I had described. I started to question my own sanity wondering if it had all been a hallucination brought on by the stress of the chase. But then, something miraculous happened. The burglar that I had been chasing was caught and brought to justice. Turns out, he had been using the abandoned house as a hideout and had been stealing from the store for months. The store owner was overjoyed and thanked me for my hard work in catching the thief. In the end, I realized that my experience in that abandoned house had not been a hallucination, but a real encounter with something unknown. Although I couldn't remember what had happened, I was happy that the burger had been caught and that justice had been served. I decided to take some time off and focus on my mental and physical well-being, but I knew that I would always carry the memory of that night with me. 
The experience had changed me, but it had also made me a better cop, one who was more aware of the unknown and the unseen. I had some friends out from Oklahoma, and I took them up the mountain to catch the sunset. We're coming back down. It's pitch dark because we're in Montana wilderness, so we all got our headlamps. About 20 feet from our camp, I see a pair of eyes moving about 50 feet across the way from us. I alert the guys, and they ask what to do. I tell them to keep moving towards camp. The eyes disappear, and we start to get a fire started. Not unusual to see deer, so we don't think much of it. I keep my pistol nearby anyway. Then we see the same eyes on the other side of camp, about waist height up. Too low to be a deer. We are confused and break out our big lights. There's nothing there. We stay quiet and listen, but even in the middle of no here, we could hear nothing. Just as I'm about to say to relax, we see what is very clearly a flashlight moving through the trees towards where the eyes were. One hand on my gun, I call out to see who's there. No answer, the light keeps moving towards the eyes, then disappears. We start sweeping the surrounding area and can see no one and nothing. Eventually, we call off the search and go back to our fire and dinner. The rest of the night was uneventful. The next morning, we're heading down the mountain to meet my wife for a water drop-off. Right where we first saw the eyes reflect was some beautiful bear scat and grizzly tracks all around. Somehow in the night, a grizzly came by our camp and left us be. We were cooking and everything, and that thing walked all around our camp, but never came more than twenty feet close. We all believed that whatever that light was moving towards the eyes was some kind of spirit telling that bear to leave us the F alone. No other people tracks besides our own and for where we were. You don't just wander around in the middle of the night casually. I still hike camp and hunt there regularly. We have three grizzlies and a moose family besides the deer that live in the area. We've come within ten feet of the moose and they just let us go. I firmly believe that when you respect the land and connect with the land spirits, the land will respect you in return. There is no other way to explain how none of us has been attacked. I love this place. 